The shir this week is dedicated in loving memory of Yosef Hirsch, Zichron Aldebrachadis, the 13th Yorkshire. Yosef was a student in uh, Yeshivat HaMiftah, and uh, we became close, he and I. And I hope that in his memory, I'll be able to uh, produce something that'll be helpful for everybody. In any event, we're studying the book of Bamidbar. The book of Bamidbar is odd because it's not a book of mitzvot. I don't mean to say that there are no mitzvot in the book of Bamidbar, but the book of Bamidbar is kind of a, an afterthought. It, um, I mean, let's see how it could have been. Like the end of the said book of Vayikra, the parasha of Bechukotai. The parasha of Bechukotai contains an agreement between Am Yisrael and HaKadosh Baruch If you do good, it'll be good. If you do bad, it'll be bad. That's the kind of agreement. Um, after that, after the end of the book of Vayikra, they should have gone to Eretz Yisrael. But the actual crunch comes in the parasha of Shlach. Shlach, the fourth parasha of Bamidbar, in the book of Bamidbar, is the story of why B'nai Yisrael are not going to Eretz Yisrael. It'll take them another 38 years to get to Eretz Yisrael. So if I think about it, I think about it, they should have gone to Eretz Yisrael straight away after Bechukotai. That's when they should have. For some reason, Bamidbar and Naso, the beginning of the book of Bamidbar is about counting and setting up the camp of Israel in the desert. Uh, how many on each side and who was on each side and the numbers of people in each Shevet. All of these things, I mean, it's not perfectly clear why I have to know them, why it's important for me to know something that will never be repeated. The Mishkan, which was a portable kind of Beit HaMikdash, is important for us because a lot of the Beit HaMikdash is imitative of the Mishkan. But counting the people in the desert seems to be an irrelevancy. I mean, you understand that in exegesis you can make anything into anything, so to speak. Um, it's not a nice thing to say because that puts me out of business. <laughs> but, but really, really that seems to be the case, right? The Rambam, the Rambam was the one who said everything is a metaphor. In other words, anything I don't like is a metaphor for something that I do like. So, uh, that takes care of everything. But if you don't apply that principle straight away, it's still true, it's still true that what do we have to know how many people were when they counted them at the beginning of Bamidbar? Why do I have to know where each tribe stayed around the camp? And this seems to be, this seems to be kind of a theme in the book of, of Bamidbar because the people are counted again in the parasha of Pinchas. People are counted again. 
Now, what I would like to do is show you two points of view about this in a, a more or less contemporary uh, parshanut. Right? The first is the Nitziv, Naftali Tzvi Yehuda Berlin, who was the Rosh Yeshiva in Volozhin until they closed the Yeshiva, until they closed the Yeshiva in Volozhin. Um, he was the son-in-law of the former Rosh Yeshiva, whose name was uh, Yitzchak Volozhiner. And he wrote this commentary on the Torah, as I think I've mentioned in the past. He used to give Sheurim every morning in the yeshiva on, on the parsha. And over the years, they were, all this, these things were collected and put into a perush, which is called the Hamek Davar. Like looking into it more carefully, he had a very good sense, very good literary sense. He was able to ask questions that uh, had not been asked or ask them in a new way and give new answers. The second uh, uh, perush is the pre-tzaddik, which you know is Rav Tzodok who is a Rebbe in Lublin, who I've also mentioned in the past. He was like, he was more or less a failure as a Rebbe. He didn't kind of attract a lot of people. He was too much of an intellectual, too, too brilliant a thinker to attract uh, a lot of people. But that was to our advantage, since he didn't have any too many Hasidim, he had a lot of free time. And in the free time, he wrote a lot of books. And so those books became available, available to us. So I'd like to look at these two. Just time-wise, they're both the beginning, they both probably wrote this down at the end of the 19th century, the beginning of the 20th century. I don't know, I can't tell you the date for the writing but they were contemporaries in a manner of speaking, right? Uh, uh, the Nitziv, uh, at the end of his life, after they uh, closed the yeshiva in Volozhin, lived in Warsaw. So if you've ever been to the, uh, the graveyard in Warsaw, you have, uh, there's an oil, uh, like a little house, in which the Nitziv and Reb Chaim Brisker are buried. They were also related. I don't know if all the shoemakers in the world are related, but all the Rashi yeshiva in the world uh, <laughs> seem, to be, seem to be related to each other. So this is the Nitziv. The Nitziv says this. Let's, uh, I'll read it and try to uh, make sense out of it. Zasefinikrabe perush hamishnah yuma perik. Well, he says, this book of Bamidbar, this book of Bamidbar is uh, called... Rabbi Vaod uh, in other places, Rabbi Chanida ben Gamliel, Sota It's a little annoying the way it's printed here, but you can get used to it. Chumash hapkudim. That's the important, the last two words. That in that Chazal, the name that Chazal gave this book is Chumash hapkudim. That's the name. That's the name uh, that uh, that you find in Tanaitic sources for the book of, the name of the book of Bamidbar. We call it Bamidbar because Bamidbar is the first word of consequence in the first pasuk of the, of the parasha. But Chachamim called it Sefer Apkudim, which means the book of counting, the book of counting, 
וכן כתב בעל הלכות גדולות. הלכות גדולות is a, 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 a work that is written by גאונים. גאונים were the ראשי uh, ישיבה in Babel. Was the name for ראש ישיבה in Babel was גאון. And so the period where the Gaonim were kind of well-known and popular is called the period of the Gaonim. So there's Tanaim, right? The Tanaim uh, started, say, 250, either 250 BCE till 250 CE. After the Tanaim are Amoraim. According to the Igeritra of Shiragon, there were also something called Sivoraim, who came after, after the more or less the Talmud was sealed. And after the Saboraim, the Gaonim. And after the Gaonim, the Rishonim. So you know that the Rambam, who was a Rishon, would kind of depend sometimes on the Gaonim. The Gaonim were very involved in Psak, in determining like what, what should you do in a particular case. Even though I'm, I'm uh, I mean, I don't do this justice, but just to get an idea, so Halachot Gidolot, there's a book of Gaonim, Vinirsham, Sizuchen Ketabal Halachot Gidolot, Vinirsham Vedat Raboteinu Inyan Shnehap Kudim, Shebazel Sefer. And all of the, uh, the early masters are concerned or relate to the question or to the fact that there are two countings of B'nai Yisrael in this book. Remember one in Bamidbar Naso at the beginning and the other one in Pinchas which is a counting that had to do with Eretz Yisrael because the land of Israel was going to be divided amongst the people who left Mitzrayim right, and, and their families. They would each get, so they had to know how many they were and who they were. That this seems to be in the eyes of Chazal, this idea that they counted more important than the other things in the book of Bamidbar, Kimo, in the third line, right? There are a lot of things in, that are interesting in the book of Bamidbar. Why do Chazal ignore them? and only relate to the fact that the people of Israel are counted twice in this, uh, uh, in, in, this uh, in this manner. Mishum hu machlif halichot am Hashem olam I'm in the fourth line, right, five words from the end, right, Bamidbar. Four words from the end. So he says, he says, B'nai Yisrael underwent a change of the time that they left Mitzrayim to the time that they're about to go into Eretz Yisrael. Now, what was that change? Sheba Midbar, again, the fourth line, the last three words, three words. In the desert, they were under the guise of Tiferet. Tiferet is a sphira, right? The, the third of seven. The third of seven sphirot, which you might know from Sphirata Omer. There are people who 
like to inflict punishment on themselves, and they say all those paragraphs after Svirat Omer. But for some reason, some reason, sanity uh, uh, hit the yeshiva world, and they actually don't say it in any, any yeshiva, which is, but it's because it's Kabbalistic, not because of sanity. Just they wanted, they wanted to avoid getting involved. So if you know the Svirot, that's how I learned it when I was a kid. Of course, I didn't know what it was that I had learned. I may still not know what it was, but at least I know that there's something to know. You know, so Chesed, Gevurah, Teferet, Netzachot, Yisod, Malchut are the seven lowest Svirot, right? The top three Svirot, ten is a magic number, right? Chachma, Bina, Das, or Keser, Bina, Das, right? The first three are a little confusing, but Tiferet equals Torah. So when you say that you go with Tiferet, it means you're going with the Torah. Going with the Torah means, going with the Torah means that you have a very high level of intuition about what God wants from you. Which is why Chazal said that Abraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov kept the Tariag Mitzvot. They don't mean that they found the secret book in which the Tariag Mitzvot were, were elucidated, but they mean, they mean that Abraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov knew what God wanted. They were very tuned in to what God wanted, so they were able to do the mitzvot even though they didn't exactly have, have the mitzvot. Right, so, so here, what he's saying is, Shabbat Midbar, which went along with Moshe Rabbeinu, probably a Zohar reference, which I don't, which whoever put out the text also didn't know. I don't know it, and whoever did this doesn't know it. This is the important part. Bnei Yisrael in the desert lived in a, in a world that was beyond nature. They wanted to eat, they had man. They wanted to drink, they had water from the well. They wanted a salami sandwich, the Slav came down and blasted them and they could just eat all they want. So that, that, that's called, oh, oh, at the end, after 40 years in the desert, their shoes were still good, and their clothing was not, uh, was not torn, and they were all like in great shape. This is Limala Min Hateva. It's not natural, it's not normal, and that's how they lived. Surely, Gamer Limala Min Hateva. Be'eretz Yisrael halchu b'derech Hateva. Very interesting idea. Eretz Yisrael was the place where they returned to, na- to nature. If it was cold, they had to put on a coat. And if they were hungry, they had to go and get food someplace. It all came to an end. The desert life, that wonderful life of, of Me'al HaTeva, just came, just came to an end. He says, this change from supernatural to natural, took place while they were in the desert, Bishnat Arba'im, in the 40th year, Alpi, as we have explained, he's explained this elsewhere. Alpi Zehashinui Nasumil Chamot Yisraelim Aknani, 
so that the battles that the Jews fought before they came into Eretz Israel with Sichon and with Og and with the Knani, that was all, what do you mean battles? Why did they have to fight battles? Why couldn't they just come to come there and, and, and the Sichonites and the Ogites would just like collapse? No, they had to go to war. They had to fight. So that, that was a sign, according to, according to the Nitziv, that they were reverting to Teva. They were becoming nat- natural. It was all natural. And he says, Vim And he also says that the mate, the staff that Moshe Rabbeinu went around with, and which indicated his ability to create supernatural events, right, like the Makot in Mitzrayim, well, he didn't go around with it anymore. He didn't have it at that time. Really, it was put in next to the Aaron Kodesh. And here was, uh, so, so he didn't have it. And he says, about this change that took place in the book of Bamidbar, right? So he's quoting Breshit Rabbah Parsha Gimel on Breshit uh, Aleph Dalit. That's what the Pasuk says in Brejit. God distinguished between the light and the darkness. This is a reference to the book of Midbar. We'll see the, we'll see the entire Midrash a little bit later, but this is a reference to the book of Midbar. Which distinguishes between those who left Mitzrayim and lived in a world of light, of greater communion with God, and those who came into Eretz Yisrael who were going to the uh, Teva. The Bahalichot Yotzei Mitzrayim Hayaor Hashgachat Hashem The people who left Mitzrayim, they saw God in everything that was happening. Right? They, they saw the pillar of fire and they saw the cloud leading them and they had the Slav and the, and the, the, the man and the, the Mayim of, of Miriam. All of that was, was there. This is the glory of God and the purpose of Bria, the purpose of creation. What is the purpose of creation? That there should be people who know what's going on who are able to relate to God, who are able to see the presence of God. That, that when they came to Eretz Yisrael, the Ashkacha, the, the, the dominion, God's dominion in the world became unclear. They just didn't, they weren't able to, to see it anymore. They weren't able to see it properly anymore. And therefore they needed, they needed, uh, uh, therefore they got into trouble, right? You know the story of the Jews in Eretz Israel, the early service. Every 40 years they'd have to go to war because they were, have, they were being punished for slipping into an idolatrous, an idolatrous state, which was 
the story of the northern kingdom. You remember that the book of Shoftim, the book of Shoftim, which is the book of the Tanakh that comes after the book of Yoshua, the book of Shoftim is only about the northern kingdom. Because at the beginning, the book says that, I don't mean there was no northern kingdom, but I'm just imagining it, right? The south, which was Yehuda, the tribe of Yehuda, they apparently did manage to drive idolatry out of their, uh, their uh, portion. But in the north, Ephraim and Menashe, Yisachar and Zebulun, in the north, that was not the case. So that the people in the north, I mean, north is Yerushalayim and north. Yerushalayim is like the, the halfway mark in, the, in Eretz Yisrael. So from Yerushalayim and north, there was always this problem of slipping into idolatry. They were always slipping into, into idolatry. And so every 40 years, you know, they, they were being punished by having to go to war. And a war which they would not obviously win. I mean, they did win them, but it was not, not such an easy matter. So this is... Uh, he says, in Eretz Yisrael, Eretz Yisrael, they were like blind, walking around. They didn't see. Before, when they were, when they were in the desert, everything was, everything was hashkacha. I mean, they, they, they couldn't have lived otherwise. They didn't have any resources. So everything was the hand of God. The hand of God made it possible for them to live. And so that's also uh, an explanation in the Hasidut for, for the uh, Muraglim. Uh, you know, if the if Bnei Yisrael knew, if Bnei Yisrael knew that they were on their way to Eretz Yisrael, if they knew that HaKadosh Baruch Hu wanted them to go to Eretz Yisrael, and that Moshe Rabbeinu had so stated time and again, and they understood that history had a teleology, like, you know, you were going someplace. You weren't going to stay in the desert. The desert was not... So how come they listened to the Miraglim? Or even they, how come did they accept the innuendo of the Miraglim that Eretz is not a good place? Well, because they lived in a better place. In, in, in other words, if they lived in a place where God was actually taking care of them, where every day you saw the hand of God, taking care of you. If everybody in Am Yisrael learned in a kolel, and the Rosh kolel was Moshe Rabbeinu, and the kind of second in command was Yoshua Binun, and lunch was always there. You know, you never ran out of lunch. You never ran out of money. So why would anybody want to leave? So, so it, it's always possible. It's always possible. That's what the the human mind is capable of uh, redefining what somebody told you. Somebody said, Moshe Rabbeinu, you have to go to Eretz Yisrael. That's why we're leaving Mitzrayim. The people say, but look how well off we are, spiritually. There's never been so... So it must be that Moshe Rabbeinu didn't mean that, but he meant that the people who are like the Pushtakim, they'll go to Eretz Yisrael. You know, they'll They'll run around and smoke and, uh, and drink beer and uh, smoke hash. But we, 
we're going to stay right here and stay in the kolo. That's the, the understanding that, uh, that you get from a lot of Hasidic uh, commentaries. So there's a difference, the, uh, the, the, the uh, Nitziv says, there's a difference between B'nai Yisrael leaving Mitzrayim who went into a world of Gilui Hashem, knowing God, relating to God, understanding. And even though they made a couple of mistakes, but they still lived in that world. They lived in that world all the, all the time. When they came to Eretz Yisrael, however, uh, everything changed. And they lived in the world of normal and natural. And that was the, uh, I mean, then you have to, I mean, he doesn't explain it, but you could ask why. Why was it that God gave them this vision of things in the desert and then took them out of that and sent them into Eretz Yisrael? So let's see how he finishes this up here. This distinction that Chazal already have indicated is seen in the two countings that go on in the book of um, Bamidbar. There is this idea in Chazal that the Avot, the Avot were like a Merkava Lishchina. Merkava is a wagon. Lishchina, like you could have this idea that God is sitting on a wagon, right? That's what, that's what Chazal say. And that, that wagon is the Avot. They, the Avot, the Mahot, they're all like the wheels of the wagon. They're in, they, they do that. What this, what this means is, what this means is that there is this idea, there is this idea in, the, in Chazal, that the job that Am Yisrael had is to make a place for God in this world. Not that God is not every place, right? You have to, you know, some, somehow deal with that problem. God is every place. But that doesn't mean that God has a specific place. And since it was no longer possible to, accept, to expect that the entire world would be a place for God in an equal sense. It became important for B'nai Yisrael to accept the obligation to build a place in this world which would be the place of God. And that was eventually, that was eventually the Beit HaMikdash, right? The Beit HaMikdash was the place, was, God, was God's place. But before the Beit HaMikdash was, uh, was built, and that's, uh, he, he says, uh, that's, that's why the counting of B'nai Yisrael in the parashat Bamidbar is connected to how the, the camp was organized. Because the camp was organized in a kind of a big square, right? Three on each side. Three tribes on each side. In the middle was the Oel, the Oel Moed. So that this, when they camped, the, it looked like they were the, the Merkava. The whole, the whole of Am Yisrael served as a Merkava. Now this does not, uh, we'll, just, we'll just go on a minute. Please say that the Galim.
והיה אפרים ראש הדגל, וקודם למנשה, ולא כן בפקודי פרשת פנחס בשנת ה-40. It's not like the counting in פנחס, כמו בפקודי פרשת פנחס בשנת ה-40, כמו שכתבתי בפני, בפנים אחד מקרא ב', uh, that's the, the, the reference, משום הכי רשום זה עניין מאוד עד שראו חז"ל לקרוא שם הספר חמש הפקודים. So you see, according to the, to the uh, deceive, what creates the difference between counting number one and counting number two, counting number one is about למעלה מן הטבע, counting number two is back into the טבע, right? So the reason is that counting number one includes in the parasha of Bamidbar, in the parasha of Nassau, the Degalim, how the tribes arrange themselves when they can't. And the parasha of Pinchas is just counting. There's no, uh, uh, there's no arrangement, there's no Degalim. So the arrangement of the Degalim, conceptually or metaphorically, is a reference to the, um, to the chariot on which HaKadosh Baruch Hu presents himself in this world. So that at the beginning of Bamidbar, they were on that exalted level. But at the end of the Bamidbar, when they were going into Eretz Yisrael, there was no chariot. They were just people on their way to do God's bidding. And that's what, that's what it says. Okay? Okay, then the third paragraph, He mentions the fact that Vayhi bin Soharon, Vayhi bin Soharon, Chazal say that those psukim that we recognize from, you know, Shabbos davening or other, you know, other davening, I mean, on Shabbos, people tend to sing it, sing things. They want to wake up the angels. So, Vayhi bin Soharon, Chachamim say, you know, they're those backwards nunim. In the, in the Sefer Torah. Maybe we'll talk about that when we get to it. But the, the Chazal say that those two psukim are a separate book of the Torah. There's another book. Those two psukim are a book. But what does that mean? It means that what comes before it is a book and what comes after it is a book. So it turns out, it turns out that Chazal also, not only did Chazal say that the book of Bamidbar is Sefer Pkudim. But Chazal also said that the first counting is in one book of the Torah and the second counting is in another book of the Torah. Okay, that position was not accepted in the tradition. We traditionally say that there are five books of the Torah, right? We don't know why. Why should there be books of the Torah? Why should the Torah just be the Torah from beginning to end? But for some reason, for some reason, I mean, the Rishonim try to explain why. But the Rahman is the one who said every book has its own identity, right? You can give it a title, each book, the Ramban did that. But there's another, there's another tradition that says why Ibn Zoharon is a separate book, and therefore the first counting is in one book, and the second counting is in another book. Again saying that Sefer HaPakudim, if you, even if you hold that it's, you know, five books, but there is this other tradition that says that the first part Counting number one and counting number two are not really in the same book. 
And even though that tradition is rejected, nevertheless, it's there. You know, even rejected traditions, they don't usually go away. They're still there someplace. So that's what the Nitziv, that's what the Nitziv said. So the Nitziv uses this idea that life in the desert was not the goal. It was not where B'nai Yisrael was supposed to be. It's true that in order to receive the Torah and in order to relate to the words that Moshe Rabbeinu taught them, in order to do all of that, you had to be kind of on a more exalted level than you usually are. And so B'nai Yisrael, B'nai Yisrael ate and slept and dreamt that uh, God, they were all you know, very, very connected to God and all the, revol the revolts in the desert were against Moshe Rabbeinu, not against, not against God, certainly not. And uh, however, the job of Am Yisrael, you know, after having this, you know, they say it's the, uh, just try to think of it, in, in, in other words, uh, like the, the, the theory, a general theory, I think, in the sociology or sociology of groups is that disparate groups keep coming together, right? They, and they try to raise themselves up higher and higher and have a higher crust. And this understanding of what was going on is that Beneso started on this exalted level and then had to lower their expectation or get to a lower level of expectation because of the job that they had accepted upon themselves, which is to bring God into the world and not so much to take themselves out of the world. Now, this is a struggle that goes on all the, you know, all the time. It's represented in the Gemara about whether you should learn Torah all the time or just part of the time. Right? This is a, a, machlokas, a machlokas in the Gemara and Brochus. So, so what do we do? Do we try to always raise ourselves up or do we go down somewhat so we can raise up the people who are... These, this is also an idea found in Chassidut, that the Rebbe, that the person who is really the great uh, person, who is up in heaven someplace, you know, talking to the angels and talking to God perhaps, but then he has to lower himself. It is this idea that Chassidut, they call it Ratzov Vashov. Ratzov Vashov. You run forward, you go back. You go for, in, in other words, by our makeup, our makeup prevents us from being exalted. We can't be exalted. Because no matter how uh, high we get and how serious we are and how righteous we are, sooner or later you have to eat lunch. And eating lunch is not exalted. Even though, even though the halacha tries to inject a lot of God into lunch. But still, it's not, it's not like an angel who doesn't have to eat lunch. Right? That's really, so you could always be that way. But when you eat lunch and you have to go to sleep and you have to do other things, so you're, you're always being pulled back from your exalted achievement. And that's what happened to the people in, in, uh, in the desert. First they were on that more exalted level. They were eating food that was not food. The Gemara says they didn't defecate in the desert because the food would just get absorbed into their bodies. The man, the man would just get uh, absorbed into their body. So it's an idea, right? Is that like, why did Chachamim say that? Why did he say that? That was, the, that was the, the, the big deal. Why couldn't they say, 
It was better than Mc, uh, McDavid's hamburgers or something. Whatever to say that, that they didn't defecate. Because, because they, they wanted to say that the people didn't have to revert back to normalcy. They didn't have to be regular people. They could be exalted all the time. So if you have to eat, you have to sleep, you have to defecate, you can't be normal. Uh, uh, you, you, you can't be exalted. Okay, that's what it says. Now, I told you there's a contemporary, the pre-Tzadik. What did he say about the same problem? So if you look at the text, one, two, three, the fourth line. So he's discussing the fact that the Gemara, the Gemara says that you have to read the book, of, the, the parasha by Midbar, that's, this Shabbos is, what's the parasha this Shabbos? Oh, have a look here. Bamidbar, right? Now, you have to read the parasha Bamidbar before Shavuot. You have to read the parasha Bamidbar before Shavuot. Because if you didn't read the parasha Bamidbar before Shavuot, you'd end up reading the parasha Bechukotai before Shavuot. Like the parasha before. So if you read the parasha of Bechukotai before Shavuot, as the Gemara seems to say, even though it's, it's a little more complicated, then you have the klala where you'd like to have bracha. Right? You don't want to have Bechukotai coming before Shavuot, the holiday of Shavuot. You'd like something a little more pleasant, or at least neutral. So we work it out that the parasha Bechukotai comes before, comes before Shavuot. I mean, parasha Bamidbar, I'm sorry. The parasha Bamidbar comes before Shavuot. This year, the parasha Bamidbar and the parasha Naso come before Shavuot. Yeah. Yeah. What? Yeah. Here in the Chutzlars, they're totally confused <laughs> about what's going on. So, because when Pesach ends, when Pesach ends on Friday, as it did for us, yeah. so Shabbos is like a regular Shabbos. You read a parsha, but in Chutzlar, Shabbos was Yom Tov Sheni Yot, which didn't matter this year because it was Shabbos. But they read the 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 Kriyata Torah of the Yom Tov Sheni Yot, so they lose a parsha. They're you know so they become a parsha behind. Why they can't fix this until uh, who knows what, until the end of Bamidbar, I have no idea. But because there's no double parsha split up until. until you, can make it, you, can, you can't make a double parsha? But it was. Well, make it anytime. No. no. Any parsha. No, but that's, that's not the. In other words, there's no. Built into the Luach, there's no double parsha. They have to wait till the next double parsha. That split, that split up. I believe you. Split up. I believe you. Okay. So I think I think it's it's just against the Gemara. That's all. It's not my fault. Uh, you know, I understand what you're saying, but you think that the Gemara was a stronger suit. But okay, you say no. Okay, Korim Parshat Bamidbar. Remember the fourth line. Kodem Atzeret before Shavuot. Kedei Lapsik Ben Aklalot Shabbatorat Kohanim. Lechag Shavuot, Ayin Sham. That's what it says in the Gemara. So he says Lechora, the pre-tzadik. He says Lechora. Apparently, Ain Zemaspik Sheyitzrach Tafka Lekrot Parshat Bamidbar Kodem. 
It's not enough just to read the parasha of Pamit Bar Kodem. Shalo yamim shebein parashat bechukotai lahachag yeba and kankin have psyches. What is the Gemara talking about? What is the Gemara talking about? Let's say you read, you read the parasha bechukotai at Shabbos, right? And Shavuos is on Wednesday. So you have half sake, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. What, do you, what is this half sake business? It's like, a, 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 it's not at all, it's not at all clear. That's what the pre-tzad is. He has a kachah on the Gemara. The Gemara makes an assumption that the only way that you can have half sake between Bechukotai and Shavuot is if you read Bab Midbar. So he says, what are you talking about? What kind of half sake is that? This is another parsha. So what if you have two days off in between Bechukotai and Shavuot? That should be that should be sufficient. And he said the Chorais have a speech is definitely called Parshat Bamikodim. Shahalo hayamim shebein Parshat Bechukotai lachag yevahem gam can have sex. Just the days in between. That's also you're not reading the Parshat Bechukotai on Shavuot. Amnam ki karatam hu bekriat. Right, that's a problem. Rosh Hashanah of Kitavo, the parish of Kitavo. Because we want to make sure that we read it before. We read it before Rosh Hashanah, we read it before Shavuot. The Gemara says, which also is the davening on, on the Rosh Hashanah. That the year with the with the uh, uh, interdictions of that past year should come to an end there in the Gemara you have to remember the idea is not just that the klalot should come to an end the klalot of the year but there's a further prayer that we say which is tachel shana so when it comes to the klalot, I know what we're talking about, right? We're talking about bechukotai. Let's say shavuot. Talk about bechukotai, full of klalot. But what about tachel ashana ubirchotei? V'zedaika al yedei kriata parasha b'shabbat kodem achag, and that takes place when you read when you read b'midbar on Shabbat. Before Shavuot. That's Tachel Shana Ubirchoteha. Begin the new year with Brachot. Why? He says it's not just making a hefsake between bad and Shavuot. But you need the parasha because then the days would be enough. You wouldn't need to say the parasha Bamidbar has to be read in between. But what is missing from that presentation? Tachel Hashana Ubirchotea. We have another prayer that we make. We want to make the next year a year of bracha, not a year of klala. So how do I do that? So the Pritzadi says, well, I read Bamidbar. That's how I do it. And not the hefsake. Is that the hefsek between Bechukotai and Shavuot? But it's rather, it's rather the bracha of the next year, the following year, which is dependent on reading the parasha of Brachot, of, of Bamidbar. Now we just don't know why. We don't know why. Hefsek, Ayyidei Kriyata Parasha B'Shabbat 
Shekodem Achad. Right, that's what we read by Midbar, we meet by Midbar before Shavuot. Why? Ki Shabbat hu mekora de birka'an. Because everybody knows that Shabbat is the source, the wellspring of bracha. All bracha comes from, comes from Shabbat. We call birka'an de elavetata. And all the brachas that come either from heaven above or from the earth of the underneath, on the seventh day they are dependent. In other words, if you do good on Shabbos, you'll get the brachot. You get the brachot because Shabbos is the source of brachot. And, and, and Shabbat is the source of the bracha for all the six days that are following, the six following days. Vuhu tchila lemikra'e kodesh. He, who Shabbos, Shabbos, remember, you ever hear those words before? Tchila lemikra'e kodesh in the Kiddush, right? What does that mean? Tchila, it's the source of those special days that are called Mikra Eikodesh, those are the days where there's an Isra Malocha, Shemimenu Noveya Kedushat HaMo'adim HaBa'im B'Sheshet Yimeh In other words, the, the, the Shabbos is what makes the Brocha, which then goes out to all the following six days, but especially to the Mo'adim. So the Shabbos before Shavuot is the Shabbos of Tachel Shana Ubirchoteha. Shabbos, right? And now he says, Mo'adim Ba'ashem HaSalacharavi, Nei Yom Tov Shalat Seret, Lo Yizdamein Lefichesh Vonenu Lo'olam B'Shabbat Atzmo, so we have the calendar worked out so that Shavuos never falls on Shabbos. Shavuos never falls on Shabbos because it needs the Shabbos for bracha. It needs the previous Shabbos. So it always falls in one of the six days, one of the six days of the of the world, of, of the week. She, why? So why do I read Bamidbar? Shemimenu yofia makor habracha lechagabashat achel shanahu birchoteha. Because that is the source of the bracha that's coming in the next year. But still, why Bamidbar? Well, you could say it's a technical thing. Because the parasha of Bechokotai is followed by the parasha of Bamidbar. It's not like a, you don't have to be a, a, a rocket scientist here. There's no, it's not Bamidbar. It's just anything, anything you would read that would be the source of bracha on that, on that Shabbat. And then he says, Okay, we'll skip that line. He said, because this has got to do with Hazinu and, and, and Kitavo and Hazinu and Rosh Hashanah, but we're interested in what we're interested in. So he's explained to us why there has to be a Shabbos between Bechukotai and Shavuot. Because that Shabbos is going to be the Makar Bracha. What he has, and of course, he hasn't really explained to us 
why there has to be a very special connection between the parish of Bamidbar and that Shabbat. That he has not explained to us. But there has to be some kind of uh, something there, right? So if Bechukotai is what you're trying to avoid, it makes sense that we call it the parasha of Bamidbar, it's the next parasha. But he goes on. He, the, uh, the Pritzanik, he goes on. Second paragraph. Vinyana Shahada Bracha Bekriyat Parashat Bamidbar Daika. He says the, the fact that it's Tafka Bamidbar, the Parashat Bamidbar, that causes this change is, is, uh, is something you should think about. Yesh Tomar Bazeb. Bavin Lama Nikrait. Lama Nikrait Hasef Razeb and Mishneh the Yom Abishen Kumashap Kudim. So he says, oh. How come this is called by the Tanaim Chumash Pekudim? The exact same question that the Nitziv asked, right? Exactly the same question. Al Shem Amispar Shal Bnei Yisrael Shnizkarbo, because the the number of Bnei Yisrael is mentioned. Alo Yesh Od Kama Inyanimu Mitzvot Shnizkarubo. He says, What do you mean? So they didn't just count the Jews in Bar Midbar. All kinds of things in Bar Midbar. You didn't have to choose. That in particular, Amnamu al Derech She Ita Ba Medrash Rabba Hamish Pa Mim Or Keneged Hamisha Kum She Torah Vay Avdela Lukim Ben Or Ben Achoshech Neged Sefer Ba Medbash Vedi Yotzei Mitzrayim Lebaei Haaretz. So this is in the Medrash. You turn over the page. Turn over the page. You see, you see right in the middle, it says Bereshit Rabbah, Parashat Bereshit, Parashat Gimel, Siman A. Right? Amar Rabbi Simon, Hei Pamim K'tiv Kan Ora. In this, in the first chapter of Bereshit, the word Or in different form appears five times. K'neged Kamishachum Sheitara. So this is itself an, an interesting idea. They saw five. Chazal, they saw five and they say, why five? Oh, what do we have that's five? Chamisha chum but then they go on and they say, I mean, okay, we could learn, we could learn this measures, but we don't have time. So look at the last line. You see the last line? Uh, he says, the, the, the third line, Vayavdel Elokim. That's the third line from the bottom and the first word is Elokim. That's what it says in the Pasuk. God divided between the light and the dark. Right? This is a reference to the book of Bamidbar Shumavdil. Okay? So you see that the Medrash, it's the Medrash that made this distinction that the Nitziv built on, and now the pre is quoting it. The same thing, the same distinction. We go back to the pre We go back to the pre So we say in the, in the second paragraph, in the third line, right, Hepa Amim, the end of the third line, Or Keneged Heichum Shei Torah, Vayavdel Elokim Ben Or Ben Echoshin, Lekav Shei Ben Bash, Vavdil Ben Yotzei Mitzrayim Lebayar, that's a quote. Hainu Mepnei, Right, 
כאן בדגלים שהוא המספר של יוצאי מצרים. ועוד מספר שני, here the first counting is the counting of those who left מצרים. But מספר שני בפרשת פנחס, בחילוק הארץ, that's where the number of people are going to get as portion in Eretz Yisrael accounted. ואומר זל במדרש רבו, בעשרה מקומות נמנו ישראל אחת בירידתם למצרים וכולי, או שניים, you have to skip. He quotes all the places that God quoted, that God divided up the land, and then it says, ואחת לעתיד לבוא. Four lines from the bottom, the first word on the line is לעתיד לבוא. One time, one time, the last time, the, the, uh, the light is about the future. שנאמר, או תעבורנה הצאן על ידי מונה. Okay? So, these, these uh, accountings are noted, the pre-Tzadik said. But now, look at, look at his addition. He says, הנה בית המספרים שבחומש הפקודים משונה לשבח משאר המספרים שנזכרים רק בקללות המספר. בשבעים נפש ירדו מצרימה, ויציאת מצרים כשש מאות אלף רגלי, וכמו כן בימי שאול ובימי דוד נזכר רק בקללות המספר. So he says usually when the Jews are counted, for whatever reason, the number that is given is for Am Yisrael, all the people. These two countings in the book of Bamidbar are the only time when each Shevet is counted on its own and the number, in, the number is quoted. You look at the, at the again, the other side, uh, turn the page, you'll see. Uh, okay, you see at the bottom, it says Materu Uvein, Ruvein, and then Mate Shimon, these are the two countings. In both places, in the parasha of Bamidbar and the parasha of, of, uh, uh, of uh, and the parasha of Pinchas, the Torah tells you the number of people in each shevet, but not Bichlalut. It doesn't tell you the, like, and Bnei Yisrael had this number, as it did when the Jews with Yaakov Avinu went down to Mitzrayim, 70. And when the Jews left Mitzrayim, 600,000, all of them, all of them together. So if you go back to where we were, and you'll see what he, he says, right? The two countings in this book, Right, I mean, the last words on the first side of the page, Hema Lashrish Benefesh Benefesh Yisrael Mekor Habrachash El Kedushat Bechinat Torah Shabbat Torah Shabbat So he goes on and he says, he says that the reason the counting, the reason the counting is done in the way it's done here in the book of Bamidbar, where every tribe is mentioned, every family in every tribe is mentioned, and every tribe is counted separately, because in this case, there are two kinds of countings, 
according to the pre-tzaddik. You count people in general, and then the individuals disappear. It's like taking a, uh, like a poll. Are you going to vote for Trump? Or are you going to vote for Hilton? So you think of Trump, a, a, a poll. So at the end of the poll, this guy, one has 55%, the other has 54%. But, so there are no people anymore. It doesn't matter how you vote. You, you're either 55% or you're 54%. But you can also count people and maintain a higher level of distinguishability. Though you recognize who they are. They are people. So he says, well, in the book of Bamidbar, in the book of Bamidbar, the whole point of counting was to emphasize the individual and not the cloud. They weren't counted because God wanted to know how many they were. They were counted because each person who was counted was supposed to feel important, that they had some kind of a real place, or what they call that, they used to call that democracy, right? I don't know about today. But in the old days when I was a kid in school, they said, that's democracy. Every vote counts, right? I'm not sure about today. So it says, so he says, he says that what happened in this kind of uh, uh, process was that the Jews who accepted the Torah, the Torah Har Sinai, and that Torah was the Torah Shemichtav. I, I want to get involved in further details. And then later on, to go to Eretz Israel, they had to re-accept the Torah Shabal Peh. Right? So this was part of a process, according to the pre-Tzadik. It wasn't that, as the Nitzim said, that they lived a superior life. And they were going to give up that superior life for a mission. Right? They were the, the Navy SEALs of, of God in those days. They were going to go and cre recreate the world. In order to recreate the world, they'd have to give up right, being with God. It, it didn't make any sense. You had to go and recreate the world in Eretz Yisrael. The Pritzadik says, the Pritzadik says that the emphasis in the counting is on the individual and the challenges that the individual had that the challenges the individual had was their relationship to Torah. So first they had to create this relationship to Torah, to the written Torah, to the laws of the Torah, right? And then they had to, they had to have, a, as he explains a little further, they had to have a relationship to Torah, that means they had to learn to accept the authority of the people who knew about Torah, who understood what was going on, and that was what made them ready to go into Eretz Yisrael. Okay. Have a good shot.